<laughs> I, I imagine if we start in on what my problem is, it would be we probably have to take volunteers to, to testify. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I, I was trying to figure out the right way to start this message this morning. I, I, have, to, I have to talk about a movie scene. I think it's the, it's the best explanation I have. And, and I am not encouraging anybody to go see this movie or to rent it. You can't go see it. Um, but but there was a, a Monty Python film that came out in the in the seventies um, called The Life of Brian, and and there's a scene in The Life of Brian like it takes place in ancient Israel and there are all these these kind of things where where they make fun of sort of the the ancient Jewish people like like it's sort of the attitudes of people that they approach God and 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 it kind of gets a little close to over the edge in spots. Um, which is why I'm not recommending it. But there, there's a spot where, where Brian is walking through Jerusalem, um, and, and he encounters a beggar. And the beggar starts following him around and begging for money. And he's like, well, you know, the beggar's saying, well, I'm a handicap. I, I, I can't work. i gotta, I got to beg for my living. And he, Brian stops and looks at him. He says, you're following me. What are you talking about? He's like, well, I was handicapped. And then this man came along, and he healed me. He ruined my business. Because I made so much money before begging, and now nobody will give me money to beg anymore because I'm not handicapped. <laughs> and later in the movie, we encounter him, like, and he, he like, sat down and he, he like, cuts off his foot so that he can beg again. Um, and it's silly, right? Like, if, if, you know, if Jesus heals you, you'd probably be pretty excited about it. You wouldn't want to go back, right? But, like, this is an attitude you see a lot of times in people, and it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's the truth, Right? is that sometimes folks encounter Jesus, they see him, they say, wow, that's impressive. And they say, but you know what, as impressive as that is, I'm going back where I was. Does that make sense? Um, and so we're going to start in um, just a little context. Um, we're sort of following a theme in John right now. And, and what John is doing is he's talking about sort of faith, not sort of faith. He's talking about faith in Jesus and true belief in Jesus and this life that is produced as a result of believing Jesus. And, and there's this kind of recurring theme, and it's actually going to get multiplied in the next section. We're going to start a new series next week, and, and it'll be sort of multiplied, this believe or don't believe kind of thing. And, and as it began, you know, weeks ago, we talked about the clearing of the temple where Jesus chases everybody out, and he, he, is make, he makes some very specific claims about himself, and the, the temple officials, they don't believe him. They demand a miracle. They're like, well, if you're going to make these claims, you better perform a miracle. And they don't have any faith. And Jesus says, well, I'm not doing a miracle for you. You're going to believe in me or you ain't, right? And, and that, that becomes the recurring theme for everything related to the temple officials. Um, 
on his way home from the temple, traveling cross-country, he cut through Samaria, and he encountered a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were sort of outcasts, and the Jewish people hated them. And this Samaritan woman, he talks to her for about five minutes, and she believes him at his word. So, like, he, she believes his claims. She believes what he says. And she gathers her friends together and everybody in town eventually, and they believe Jesus based on his word. Right? They believe who he is. They believe his claims. They believe everything without him doing miracles and stuff like that. He does miracles later, but the text tells us that they believed him based on what he was saying. And finally, he returns to his home like area, not his hometown yet. But while he's in his home um, area, this is like maybe an area smaller than Soto County. Well, definitely smaller than Soto County. Um, a very small um, um, sort of region. And he's there, and some folks who had seen him perform miracles in Jerusalem are there. And he becomes very critical. He says, well, all you people want is miracles. You're never going to believe me if I don't perform miracles. You don't, you, know, you don't have any faith. You have nothing. And he's approached by a royal official who wants to take him home to heal his son who's sick. And Jesus says, nope, your son's healed. Go home. And the official has to believe him, right? He has to believe him at his word and go. And so he encounters this guy in a desperate situation, like a desperate, you know, please, please, please help me. He's not interested in who Jesus is at all, really. And Jesus one-ups him by saying, believe what I'm saying, you got what you want, right? And, and the guy has faith. He goes home, and the boy is healed, and there's this faith that is produced in his family in this, you know, area. So as we come into this, we're coming into, like, sort of the next section here, um, this sort of believe based on seeing, right? Or, or seeing is believing, and everybody, we've heard that, right? Uh, you know, you want me to believe, show me. Um, and God calls us as people to believe before we see. You following me? And sometimes God expects us to believe he's going to act or believe that his words are true without the benefit of having seen stuff. And, and, you know, the disciples have a bit of an advantage in the long run because they see the resurrected Jesus. And we're called to believe the truth that Jesus died taking punishment for our sins and he was coming back to life. And, and so, like, there's this impetus on us. You have to believe. And we have to believe before we see. Um, because the problem, and we talked about this last week, is seeing a miracle doesn't produce faith. Right? You'd think it would. Well, of course, if I see a miracle, it's going to change my life. It's not actually true. Um, and we're about to see a story about this. Um, real quick, this is the Sabbath is the day that this takes place, and we're gonna, that's going to be a huge deal next week. Um, and I'll talk about the Sabbath a little more in depth, but like the, the Sabbath is Saturday, right? Sabbath is not Sunday. Anybody who tells you it is has no idea what they're talking about. The Sabbath is Saturday, um, and the Sabbath existed so men could take time away from work and spend it with God. Now, for the Jewish people, they were crazy on this topic, right? If you go into the, the Talmud, there are 39 separate areas where they created laws regarding what was work and what wasn't work. The Sabbath is, you know, the commandment, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, don't work. And so they, they were like, well, wait a minute, what's work? And they had, like, if you travel more than five miles away from home, that's work. So you've got to stay within a five-mile radius of home. Oh, and if you're out camping on the Sabbath, you can't pick up your, your sleeping bag and take it with you because that would be work. But if you're at home, you can carry your sleeping bag around at home because that's not work. That makes sense, right? 
course not. It's, it gets crazy after a little while. And these guys, they had like, like very exacting rules because they wanted to make sure they followed it because a lot of their national identity was drawn out of it. And the other thing is that the Sabbath dictated like all of their festivals and actually a great deal of their religious life. And that'll make more sense later. We're going to get into it later. It's just explaining. Um, Jesus is about to commit a crime. Anybody awake to catch that? Um, by the national legal standard, Jesus is about to tell this guy to do something that is an illegal activity. All right? Um, but it's crazy illegal. Like, it's, it's dumb illegal. It, it's, it's, you know, and we'll, we'll get into it in a minute. Um, also, in the middle of this, you're going to notice there are a couple of missing tax numbers. Right? The text is going to go from one, two, three and a half, and then it's going to jump to like eight or seven. The reason there are missing passages is once upon a time, right, when the Bible was first assembled and translated into English and all that, and the King James Version was put together and all that, like they had a set of manuscripts from a certain era. They were fairly new. Those manuscripts picked up some extra stuff, right? If you go back a little farther, we have 5,000 copies of every text from the Old Testament or from the, from the New Testament, right? And some of them go back thousands and thousands of years. There's like three verses that get added here. And it, they got added during the medieval era, and it was originally added as a note in the side. So the guy's like, hey, this is, they're doing this because of this reason. And somewhere along the way, somebody was copying that text, and he moved those three passages into the text with a note. This is not original. It's a side note. I just put it in. And then the next guy who comes along, like, leaves that note out, and all of a sudden it's part of the Bible. All right, so there's like three verses we're going to skip, and we're skipping them because along the way, somebody screwed up and added them. Everybody with me? Nobody panicked on this. just want to make sure. I spent like six hours reading up on these three passages to make sure I was doing it right, okay? So be aware. They're just, they're, they're not original. Um, so we're going to dive into the text here, right? John 5, 1, if you're following along in your Bible, there are Bibles in the pews if you brought one with you. It's better to hold it in hand and read it than to look at the screen, but look at the screen as best we could. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So Jesus has gone back to Jerusalem. Um, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So what's going on is, I, I was going to put up a map, and I didn't, so that's my fault. In the middle of the city of Jerusalem, there's a temple, right? It was the only place you were supposed to worship God. And about 40 yards from the temple, there is a couple of pools. Not swimming pools like you would think, because, I don't know, they're not swimming pools. Um, they are places where you could get water, because indoor plumbing is fairly rare, um, or non-existent. Um, and these pools, they had colonnades. And what a colonnade is... Um, it's basically a porch, a covered porch that you would use to step into the water and step out. Got it? And if you were in the temple and they were to, like, declare you, hey, I had leprosy a month ago and now I'm no longer a leper, they would say, all right, well, now that you're healed, you need to be clean. Go to the pool and wash up. And you'd walk into this colonnade, you'd hop into the pool and wash yourself, and then you'd get out and go home. Right? And so it was a part of the process for becoming ritually clean was to go to this place and wash yourself. And really crazy, the water was red. 
red water. Um, the reason it was red is because there was iron salts in the spring that fed it. Is everybody with me? So the water was red. And the people would look at this red water and they'd be like, hey, that's water of Shechem. And every once in a while, those pools being fed by springs would bubble. Right? And at that point in time, folks would like jump into the water and they'd think, well, if I jump in when it's being bubbling, I'll be healed. That's what I need to do. And so it became this like crazy thing where everybody believed that if I hang out here long enough and the water bubbles and I die, then I'll be healed. Right? Um, we dealt with it probably didn't work very often. Just a guess. Um, so all of these blind, lame, and paralyzed people are hanging out at the pool because might as well, right? If I can't get up and walk, I can hang out right here and I might get healed. And so like, like this is the scene. Jesus walks in there and One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So now for probably most of his life, this guy can't walk, right? And he comes back to this pool. It's doubtless that he would live there for 38. Like it's, it's doubtful, excuse me. It's unlikely that this guy set up shop and lived in this spot for 38 years. It's probably the case that he had a family that helped take care of him, and they would drag him out there and leave him during festivals, because he thought, well, they figured, well, like maybe he'll be healed when the water bubbles during the festival. Um, or he got dragged out there every day and brought home. It's unlikely he lived there. Um, what was wrong with him? I don't know. He couldn't walk is basically what it comes down to. He could have been physically weak. He could have, you know, been paralyzed. It could have been, could have been all sorts of things. But this guy has been hanging out at this pool for 38 years. And the reason being is there ain't a whole lot you can do in the ancient world if you can't walk. Right? I mean, you just, there's just nothing. I mean, what are you going to do if you can't get up and walk around? Like, it's not as though they had motorized wheelchairs or anything else. I mean, these guys had nothing to do. And so they would hang out and beg, or they would be taken care of by their family. Or like this guy, he would hang out at the pool all day. Like, I wish I could hang out at the pool all day. Anyway, that was funny. <laughs> that, that was rough, man. <laughs> When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So Jesus walks in. There is a huge crowd of people who are like, 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 you know, unable to take care of themselves. They're all laying around. He walks up to this guy and he says, hey, do you want to be healed? And there's not really any indication this guy did anything to draw attention to himself, right? The only thing that we know is that he's been there a long time, so everybody probably knows he's, he's not able to walk, right? It's a miracle that attracts attention. Everybody with me? Um, he does not do anything to deserve it. This is actually an act of grace. Grace is a gift you do not deserve, right? You can't earn. You've got nothing that you can offer for it, but you get it. And so Jesus approaches him and asks, do you want to be healed? This is pretty typical. Jesus asks this sort of thing of people a lot in this gospel. Um, and the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going down, or while I'm going, another steps down before me. So he's laying there, and the guy says, Hey, Jesus says, Hey, do you want to be healed? And the guy's response is, Well, how am I supposed to be? Huh? How am I supposed to get in the water? Nobody's helping me. And so, like, he's not interested in Jesus, right? He's interested in the pool. This is the solution. By the way, have any of y'all ever had like a disaster in your life and thought, 
this is the way to fix it, and you get fixated on something, and it's something that actually ain't going to help. Right? Like, I've talked to people forever who decide, my life is a wreck, but if I could just move away, everything would be better. You know, or if I could just find a girlfriend, everything would be better. Or if I could just get my wife to behave herself, everything would be better. Or if I could just, <laughs> I wasn't talking about my life. You're wonderful, honey. I said girlfriend, too. I don't need a girlfriend. That would wreck everything <laughs> and probably end my life. Um, <laughs> you know, probably about it. Um, <laughs> so he complains. Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And his response is to complain. Now, there are lots of ways that co- commentaries and scholars and stuff have read this. Some folks have read him being this noble-like person and all that. It probably is because he's this crabby old man whose life has been awful. And, like, it's turned him into a crabby old man. Right? Anybody ever know anybody whose life just gets worse and worse and worse the whole time, and it really does a good job of making him unpleasant to be around? You know, this is who this guy is. He's unpleasant. And we'll talk about why I'm asserting that in a minute. But he turns to me, he's like, well, what do you expect, buddy? I can't get up. I can't get in. It's, you know, I'm doing my best here. It's just off my back. Um, And so this guy can't get down in there, can't do anything for himself. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. By the way, he has now broken the law because he commanded somebody to work on the Sabbath. Like, don't forget he healed him, right? Like, he says, hey, get up and walk. You'll be healed and, and all that. I mean, like, obviously, you know, God can do what he wants. And so God says, hey, get up and walk, you know. But according to the local laws, he has broken the law. Next week, we're going to start touching on the fact that the Jews wanted to put him on trial for this. Performs a miracle, let's put him in jail. Makes sense, right? (laughs) But you know what? Sometimes folks see God act, and they back up, and they got nothing but complaining, right? Because seeing a miracle does not produce faith. Faith is produced by trusting Jesus for who he is and what he is and believing in him and choosing to follow him. There ain't nothing else attached to that. And, you know, just because, like, this guy, for example, just because he's healed doesn't change who he is. And we're going to see that in a minute. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So that little aside, it was a Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. He has broke the law. And so this man, he gets up, and he takes his bed, and he goes home. He should have left it there and come back, right? That makes sense. Except when the guy who heals you tells you to do something, you should probably do it. Just saying. Um, So he picks up his bed and he walks and he's healed and he's awesome. And probably a bunch of the folks who were there were really impressed. He was doubtless really impressed, but he didn't even bother finding out who Jesus was. Isn't that crazy? Like if I was laying somewhere, you know, couldn't get up and walk for 38 years and somebody came along and healed me, the first thing I'd ask is, hey, who are you? Makes sense, doesn't it? I would want to know something about that guy. This guy... Exactly. Greek for king, amen. That would be. Um, so, so the, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Really? <laughs> hey, look, a miracle. Put your bed down. <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, it's like complaining about jaywalking. You know, just, uh, um, But he answered them, the man who healed me said, take up your bed and walk. 
And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So Jesus walked away. The guy didn't bother finding out who Jesus was. He wasn't that interested in him before he was healed. And like, doesn't know who he is. Just mad. Um, and <laughs> he says, well, I don't know who the guy was. He healed me. Sorry, he left. Um, after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. That's impressive, right? And actually, probably the reason he says this is, there's two parts of this conversation. The first part is, hey, look, the healing stopped, right? Because it was a common thing in the ancient world, um, you know, weirdly enough, that people would be healed and the healing would last a very short amount of time and then just disappear. Because ancient healers were charlatans for the most part. Everybody with me? Um, I can't, you know, I imagine you probably turn on the TV and watch this happen. Folks who are healed, and I'm sorry, my wife's brain is blown. <laughs> but it is the case, right? There are folks who miraculously heal and, yeah, I'm kidding. Um, so it, Jesus approaches him and says, hey, you're healed. And then he says, sin no more that nothing worse will happen to you. Um, this is trickier. Watch. Um, you don't suffer because you sin, right? People don't get sick because they sin for the most part. Um, sometimes, like the Bible teaches this idea that like if we rebel against God enough, like you know, Jesus got to allow bad things to happen to us, right? And he allows bad things to happen to us to wake us up. Um, usually this isn't in the form of physical illness. Sometimes it's in the form of other crazy things, right? I'm, I'm guessing, has anybody ever made a really stupid decision and then later on thought, man, I screwed my life up? Look at this. To be an example, like if I were to get a girlfriend, I would screw my life up, right? And God would allow me to screw my life up because he would look at me and say, well, I need Eric to repent, or I want Eric to repent, and so we need to wake him up. And so, like, that wake-up call would be, you know, my wife leaving me or my father-in-law murdering me and or crippling me. Um, exactly. Um, <laughs> so he says to him, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. It's probably the case that this guy is not, he's probably not a great guy. Right? At this point, we know he's probably kind of crabby. And we know that when Jesus says to him, hey, don't do anything else so nothing worse happens to you, the man went and told the Jews <laughs> that it was Jesus who had healed him. So he goes to the guys who are ticked off at Jesus and says, hey, it was that guy. Seems like a man whose life has been changed, right? Would you turn in somebody who's sick to you? I probably wouldn't. Like this guy, he turns around and he says, well, it was that guy. Get off my back. Um, you don't have him saying much else. It's probably the case that this is a fellow who experienced healing, was very thankful for it. He went to the temple because he had to present himself as healed, and then he'd have to go back to the pool and wash himself, right? But he wasn't that interested in Jesus. He just wasn't. He wasn't. Um, we see this over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. There's a spot where Jesus heals ten lepers. Like these ten guys who were dying of leprosy, they couldn't go home, they had to live out in the wilderness. People had to, like, if they saw folks approaching them on the street, they had to walk off to the side and yell, unclean, unclean, so folks would know to stay away from them. And, like, those ten guys left healed, happy, excited, and one guy came back and said, thank you. And the other nine didn't. Right? <laughs> Jesus said, hey, where are the other nine guys? He said, I don't know, but I'm here to say thank you. Um, this guy ain't far off from that. He has been healed suddenly. He's not all that interested in Jesus, right? He's happy he's been healed, but he's not interested in Jesus. Now, 
what do we do with this? This is where this is going to get tricky. Um, and there's going to be two questions I'm going to answer here today, right? Um, what do I want you to know? What I want you to know here is, like, just because you see something miraculous, just because you see something amazing, just because you experience these blessings does not immediately indicate that you're going to be saved. It doesn't immediately indicate that you're going to be changed. In fact, I've met people all for years and years and years who would have these moments where they're, like, inspired, and they're like, I prayed for Jesus to heal me and to make me whole and to forgive me my sins, and now I'm forgiven, but I'm going to go back to my old life now, right? Um, it doesn't work that way. Um, when we encounter Christ, it requires that we respond with faith, and it requires that we respond with real faith. Um, and real faith, like, it's got this habit of making works happen. You cannot earn your way into heaven, right? But if he has healed you, if he has made you whole, if you have faith in Jesus, like it's natural to respond by saying, well, I'm going to like follow you now and do what you ask me to do, right? Hey, you know, there's the life you want me to live, I'll do it. This guy, healed, mm, not so much. I'll turn you into the authorities. Hold on, let me get him. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to get the cops. Um, but when Jesus calls us, when God asks, God asks because he desires to be changing. He desires to see us made whole and right before him, to be in relationship with him. Um, we have to respond to his action. Here's some big examples. There are folks who, I'm not saying anyone in this room, please do not think I'm talking about any of y'all. I'm saying years before I came to Big Sandy, I encounter people who would like pray and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then like the next day, there was no difference. Right? It was the same life that they had before. There was something controversial uh, two or three years ago. The Southern Baptist Church had a declaration that the church as a whole said, if you pray the sinner's prayer, you are saved, period. Well, no. There's nothing in the Bible about that. Um, the Bible describes faith that is genuine producing new life, meaning um, I believe Jesus can save me from my sins. Um, I believe that he has died for my sins. He will be my Lord. Lord means boss or master, by the way. We don't say that because it's not as nice, but like he has become master and I obey him and I live my life. Because I want to earn my way into heaven? No, because I want to trust God that he saved me, right? Um, I read this morning that Martin Luther spent his whole life um, up to a point where he figured out who Jesus was, spent his whole life angry. Like he would learn about trying to be right before God and he would work as hard as he could to be right before God and it just made him angry. And he was ticked off at everybody who wasn't doing as well as he was because he had to find people who were doing a bad job so he could be reminded of how awesome of a job he was doing, but he wasn't doing an awesome job. For the most part, it just made him mad. And then when he figured out that Jesus died for him and all he had to do was have faith, it just it changed him. It filled his heart with love. It made him love Jesus in a way that was like life-changing and actually world-changing in the long run, right? And that turned into him living a very different life. Because if you try to earn your way to God, if you try to, like, do the job, or if you walk away from it and go, like, oh, well, I just said the prayer, now I'm done, it won't affect you. In fact, it might make you worse. Um, as Jesus actually said to the guy, right, don't sin anymore unless you, get, unless you want it to happen again. Um, if we go on, like, the next idea here I wanted to talk about is the idea um, that we're saved without, without overcoming our sin, right? We are made clean, like God looks at you. If you're a person who's following Jesus, he looks at you and he sees Jesus. 
and on the cross Jesus looked like you. And so Jesus took all our sins, all our, our, our punishment, had it all poured out on him. And when he looks at justice at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Like, so I am not great. On my best days, my best acts are like filthy rags next to God's woeful righteousness. Or as we quote Isaiah, but God sees Jesus when he looks at me. And then my job is to live my life growing closer to him and getting better at being like him. I've been married for 30 years now, right? Close to that. It'll be 20 in a few years. And I am probably doing a better job today than I was 15 years ago. Um, I am. Like, I'm doing a better job today than I was five years ago. Because as I go, I'm working at being a better husband. I mean, a few years ago, I was starting to study it and be a better husband because I'm going to work on it. Like, it's going to be my job to be a better husband. The same is true of following Jesus. As we follow Jesus, we should overcome sin and we should become more righteous. Does that mean if I continue to sin that God hates me? No. It means that we continue to drive at it, right? Even desiring to drive at it and to be more like Jesus is a sign you're in the right direction and things are going right, right? But we can't just ignore our sin. Like, this man gets up, he's healed, he's made whole. After 38 years of laying around, he's, he's able to walk. Once he overcomes his sin, he can't turn and go and be like before. Um, and the Holy Spirit helps us with that. God helps us with that. Um, there are folks who believe that just because I'm saved, I need to be religious now, right? It means I show up every week. It means that I, what is it, don't drink, smoke, or chew, and go with girls who do, Right? <laughs> Don't stand too close to sinners because you might look like them. Um, in reality, being religious doesn't do a whole lot for you. Being in a relationship with Jesus and developing intimacy with Jesus and with the body of Christ is what makes you right. It's what draws you closer to God. Um, you can't earn it by being religious. You can't earn it by showing up every day. If you were here on a Sunday morning thinking, well, I got this covered, when we're checking the column, doesn't work that way. Relationship with Jesus is what does it. And you have to come up with some, like, prayer, reading the Bible, and, like, applying it. If I am sick and I am healed, but I continue to act sick, am I really doing it? I hope. Um, and so we have to apply it. So if you've got areas of struggles in your life, you've actually got to put it in there. The man had to get up and walk to be healed. And to be born again, we have to have new life. Like, new life is a part of it. Like, it just is unavoidable. Um, my kids planted seeds with Ann, which I am thanking her for every day. <laughs> that they report on them to me and that I can't, like, use all my office to plant everywhere and, and so forth. Um, <laughs> it really is awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm just being funny or trying and doing a poor job of it. Um, those seeds will eventually grow up and give us beans, right? And hot peppers, I hope. And cucumbers and all kinds of other stuff, right? Because when you plant a plant, what do you get out of it? Fruit. Some of you guys are out there putting seeds in the ground right now. If those seeds come up and you don't get kernels of grain on them, that's a problem. Fair enough? Um, it is the case that if we have new life, if we have new like, like born-again life, if we are following Jesus, he's made us new, like, fruit needs to come off of it. What does that fruit look like? Well, we become better than we were. 
if we struggle with depression, if we struggle with anger, if we struggle with any of these things, if we look at people and we're bitter, um, which, by the way, I spent the first probably five years of my Christian life angry at a handful of people. And somebody one day said to me, you know, you don't act like Jesus. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how mad you are all the time? Have you noticed? Have you noticed how bitter you are and how, like, short-tempered you are? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. I probably can't do that anymore. And so I had to figure out how to love all these jerks who mistreated me before. And I still pray for some of them. I haven't seen them in 20 years, and I still pray for them. Um, because born again means new life. New life means truth. It means overcoming anger. It means loving people even when you don't want to. It means little offenses are things that we just let go of, right? How hard is that? I want to be mad about little offenses. But in reality, like new life in Jesus means we put that stuff aside. Um, and we examine our lives. Like, like we have to, it's Christian psychology or something. We have to like, like examine our lives daily. We wake up in the morning and say, what do I need to work on? How do I get better? And what are we doing? We're pushing through. We grow spiritually. How do you grow spiritually? Pray, read the Bible, you serve, you meditate on scripture, you spend time with the family of God, you love the people around you, you worship, right? Worshiping is, is essential to this. Like it's all of this stuff. Does that save me? No. That's the fruit that comes off the plant when it comes out of the ground. And so like we come to the end of this series and what we've seen so far is We've seen folks react in different ways. We've seen God actively say, I want that. I want new life. I want whatever this guy is selling, right? And we've seen folks who see God act and they say, well, not for me. Um, or they see God act and then they demand things. Hey, 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 perform some miracles so I can know you're telling the truth. In reality, we have to take Jesus for who he is. And at his word, um, does it mean we'll see miracles? Sometimes. Does it mean that like some God will answer every prayer we have? God's not offended by that. No. Does it mean we'll instantly love our neighbor? Nope. But it'll help us do it. Does it mean that we mean I'll never fight with my wife again? Nope. <laughs> but it'll teach me to repent of it when I do and like work toward being more loving and better. Um, my challenge to you this week um, is to look at your life and ask, are you like an apple tree that's that never grows apples? Or are you like grain that, that never, never yields any kernel? Um, what's your life look like? Um, are you like the man in the, in the silly movie clip who gets up and starts complaining, well, Jesus healed me, but man, I wish I could go back to the way I was. Um, what does it feel like to give a cup away? To give a sympathy to food bags? To give a intimacy and relationship with God that isn't just filling up a tank? And so, like, look at your heart, look at your life. If you're really brave, ask the people you're close to. That is a hard thing, right? Do you really love Jesus? Because he comes across as one that automatically does. And I'm always thankful when it happens about a month after it happens. <laughs> Never in the moment. Let's pray and let's, let's uh, go on out and let's serve God this year. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond to your act, to your, your giving us new life. Um, help us to respond to Jesus' death for us. Like, like Lord God, I know that, that my sins are huge, and I'm grateful every day that you take that off me. Help me to live. Help me to live new in your arms, Jesus.
have made you what you would probably prefer to have a person who is who you are using, who is your friend.